the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, it is a delight, as we do most Fridays, to have in studio with me Rabbi Pinchas Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E is how he spells his name. He is the um, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, three to four minutes, three to four minutes that uh, he puts out once a week uh, with a lot. I mean... I have all these notes and papers on his three. He walks in with nothing, and I have all these notes. It's a, an incredible man. He is also the head rabbi at uh, Congregation Beth Tefillah here in Scottsdale on Shea Boulevard, where uh, also known as CBT. He says, uh, everyone and anyone is welcome, Jewish or not Jewish, religious or not religious. Rabbi, good to see you. It's great to see you. Always a delight to be here, Seth. Thanks. A delight for us. The title of your podcast this week is Don't Wait Until Your Loved One Dies, and you kind of link that to a series of weekly Torah portions. Would you like to give us that rundown of the th- – it's three of them. Well, yes, it's That's sort correct. of three of them, right. Right, the third, which is uh, going to be read in synagogues across the world tomorrow. The name of it is Emor, but it's really based on the names of these past three portions, Acharei Mot was the first one, which means after death. Kedoshim is the second, ones, uh, second one, which means holy. And emor means say. And many people have based this quote on these three names. After someone dies, say that they were holy. Yeah. And it's interesting because how can one lie if that person was not holy? Yeah, right. What does it mean to say that a person is holy? What happened to all the crooks in the world? Mm-hmm. And I think that the answer really is founded on our perspective. Yes, indeed, sometimes people seem like crooks, but that's because we only have a very narrow perspective on them. If we can look at the big picture, which is really what happens when someone dies, we, we learn to look at the entire life of the person, of the entire persona behind that life, then we will see good, we'll see holiness, and the question then begs itself, do we have to wait for a person to die so that we can see his or her holiness? Or can we see it while they are alive? As you put it, you've never been to a funeral or a eulogy where anyone speaks other than good of the deceased. Uh, and begging the question you raised, well, what if they weren't necessarily a good person? I want to come back to that for a moment because there is this notion, and I think you gave voice to it in your podcast, that perhaps those who would eulogize pleasantly, decently, kindly about the deceased, it's not that the deceased has changed. Maybe it's we who have changed. Maybe we, the living, maybe we, the survivors, maybe there was a change in us. Maybe a change we we regret it took so long to have. Mm -hmm. Something like that, right? That's right. right. Yeah, exactly. And, And you're right. We change. Death certainly changes us and changes our perspective. Changes the living. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes to lose someone yeah. to find someone. Right. Uh, sometimes it takes distance to develop that love. Maybe that's why, you know, we become fonder of people from a distance. 
And uh, my point in this podcast is indeed why wait for those terrible moments to develop this closeness, this love, this ability to see the other person's holiness and beautiful side. And really focusing on the survivor, on the living, you point out that you have seen in your rabbinical duties and in your personal life, I assume as well, the situation that leads to that kind of regret that happens at a funeral or on the announcement of someone's death where, where the survivors or the living will say they wish they would have made amends, they wish that they would have repaired that relationship, and now it's too late. Because what you have seen, what you've noticed, you say, is that so many relationships are severed, I think is the word you use, severed over banalities and trivialities. That's right. We get entangled in all of these trivialities of life, and they overcome us to a point that they become important. Instead of allowing the truly important to be important, it's those trivialities that become important. I remember sitting next to a lady on a plane for a four-hour plane ride from, uh, I think it was New York, back to Phoenix, and she was telling me about how she hasn't spoken to her brother for 20 years. And when I asked her why, she said it was because her brother said something, something negative about her husband. And it just developed into this massive fight, and the mountain became a volcano that erupted, in her words. And I was saying to myself, it's a thought that I also expressed to her, because of an insult, you will ruin a relationship that is of dire importance in a life of a person, a relationship between siblings, because of this fight, we can't just let go or we can't just forgive and forget. And that is astounding to me. You know, unfortunately, uh, m uh, many people in our society, I don't know what the number is statistically. I once heard it was a third of society have relationships within their own families that they have completely cut. Mm -hmm. They don't speak to their brother, to their sister, to their parents, to their grandparents. Why, when you ask most of them that question, will realize that it's really based, it was founded on something quite trivial. And I ask myself, really, is it so, so damaging? Is that incident, that trivial, so damaging that we have to completely divorce ourselves from that which God put in our lives, from a relationship that could be bringing us so much, not just in this world, but also after we leave this world? And that, that is a question that I think we ought to ask ourselves before making any severance. You know, one of the, I think, terrible things that we went through over the past two and a half years of throughout the COVID uh, era was the exacerbation of that very problem. I took a lot of calls, Rabbi, a lot of calls from people who lost family relationships and friendships, yes, but more deeply family relationships over the way they discussed, thought about, and handled COVID. I saw that that, that well, there's so much to say about COVID, and we don't have to get into too much of it as much as you want, but, mm -hmm. but there was one of the most, I think, awful things about it was how either we handled it in letting it pit each other against each other, or family member against family member, or how it was used to pit family member against family member and childhood friend. I took a, I can't tell you how many calls I took on this. Maybe you saw it in your in your duties yes, as well. Yes, I did. I did. I think what COVID did as any crisis does is that it makes the strong stronger and the weak weaker. Ah. 
And uh, those relationships that were strong at their very root became stronger. Mm -hmm. Those that were weak in their root became weaker, unfortunately. And uh, it reminds – That's such a good point. Boy, I I only thought of the negative side. I'm now, as you're saying that, thinking of relationships I had that were strengthened on that. Go ahead. Right. And it reminds me of that famous Talmudic statement that begs every one of us to be as flexible as a bamboo stick – and not as difficult as a cedar tree. Okay. Why? Because a cedar tree may seem strong and powerful because it is big, physically big. But when a storm comes, it knocks it down mm-hmm. because its roots are few and weak. Mm-hmm. A bamboo stick is the opposite. It seems very slim and frigid, but it has roots that are as deep as it gets. And when a storm comes, the bamboo sticks, stick really remains alive and well while the cedar tree, tree drops and dies. And I think that in, in many ways, this is what life is all about. If we have roots that are anchored in divine values, that are indeed steeped in all that is important in life, as we called it, then the storms of life, like COVID, cannot take us down. But if our roots are weak to begin with, and that begins with relationships, especially with family relationships, then yes, any storm can come and knock us down. There's something about the human condition, um, and I think this transcends the relig- religion, the religious from the non-religious. There's something about the human condition. I don't know if it's ego. I don't know if it's pride, but there is something that every every person will go through where they're trying to walk a razor's edge. And the razor's edge, Rabbi, as I see it, or as I would describe it, is um, having self-respect without being a doormat. And when you get into a familial relationship or a friendship relationship or a love relationship, there there is that razor's edge. So you want to be forgiving, you want to be flexible, you want to be... Um, you 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 want to not think of the fights or the arguments or that which might offend you as 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 trivial or banal, but after a while, there's also a point at which you lose your self-respect. I wonder if you might help us with that razor's edge on the other side of the break. Absolutely, thank you. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Rabbi Pincha Solution. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Rabbi Pinchas Alushin studio. A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E is how he spells his last name. And he is the host of the uh, Rabbi Alush podcast, which you can get on Apple Podcasts. Three minutes, which will change your week, possibly your life even. Uh, Rabbi, talking about not severing relationships over uh, banalities, trivialities, uh, small things. Totally understand what some people have a hard time negotiating is what I was describing as the razor's edge between having a degree or the right amount, perhaps, of self-respect without being someone who has to constantly be the compromiser, the doormat, the forgiver, the one who has to take all the incoming all the time. They may be trivialities, but they may be a lot of trivialities that amount to some. How do you, how do you find that balance between self-respect and uh, uh, self-abnegation, I suppose? Right. That's a great question. Uh, One needs to be flexible, no doubt. You know that 
Um, another Talmudic quote is that whoever is flexible and lets things slide by, then God will do the same towards him when he ah. sins and when he fails. Ah. Um, but but in addition to that, I think that it really, really— sp- You just gave me the kingdoms to heaven, folks. Remind <laughs> Bill, David, remind me of that. Just if, As long ticket. as I'm flexible, I'm good. I will get, I will get the forgiveness I need. Okay. That's right. Okay. <laughs> but in addition to that, and I think that to go to the very core of what you spoke about, self-respect versus self-abnegation, yeah. I think that it really is time for all of us to redefine— the key ingredients to successful relationships. Because for too many years, we've thought that relationships equals love. The Beatles said, all we need is love. But I I would disagree with that profoundly. I think that there are so many more ingredients to relationships. And I would rephrase that equation by saying that relationships equals a little bit of love, but a lot of respect a lot of communication and understanding, and a lot of forgiveness too. But it's, it's that delicate balance between love and respect. And if you'll indulge me, I, I, I think that there are, in fact, two opposite emotions. Because if you think about this, when you love someone, you want to come close to them. You want to hug them and kiss them. When you respect someone, you maintain your distance a little, a little bit out of awe, out of respect. And indeed, the ultimate relationship is a relationship in which I know when to come close, when to love, but I also know when to stay far and allow the person to be so that I don't suffocate him or her with my love. Sometimes we love people that we want to change them. Oh, this is the way you brush your teeth. That's wrong. You should brush your teeth this way. This is the way you speak. This is the way you walk. You should. And we think that we're doing them a favor because after all, we're speaking out of love. Yeah. If I don't care about the person, I wouldn't say anything. But that's when respect needs to kick in, to allow the person to simply be. And it's that fine balance of knowing when to come close and when to stay far. I would quote the German philosopher Hegel of the 18th century, who says that the ultimate relationship is like the relationship of porcupines. Mm. <laughs> now, I don't know if this is true biologically. <laughs> I never checked this or zoologically. But he asked the question, how do porcupines survive the winter? Because in order for porcupines, to, for animals to survive the winter, they have to cuddle up. But porcupines can't do so. So how do they survive the winter? And he reached the conclusion that they must be able to survive the winter because they know how to come close so that it still warms them, but how to stay far also so that their thorns don't injure one another. And I think that's the ultimate type of relationship, a porcupine type of relationship. We know when to come close when to love, but we also know when to stay far to allow the person to be. <clears throat> on, on, on maintaining relationships, on not uh, severing ties, Rabbi, I don't know if we brought this up last week. I know I meant to last week, so it ties in a little bit. Forgive me if this is repetitive. Someone, another rabbi, and, and, and maybe this is Talmudic or based in the Bible, I don't know, said that the thing God wants most of us is to get along with one another. It's the easiest thing to say and the hardest thing to do. Is is that based in is that based in 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 deep Jewish uh, liturgy and and is that right? I mean, it is the easiest thing to say. For some reason, it is hard to do. I, I for all the reasons you've said, it seems to be hard to do. Absolutely, it's very very hard. 
there's another statement that says that it's easy to love someone that is miles apart. Yeah. But someone that is close, yeah. that's much harder to love. Yeah. And that's because when a person is close, first of all, our interactions are many, and some of them may be difficult. But also when a person is close, we learn to see or we begin to see the deficiencies. Yeah. And that can create cracks in relationships. And that's why it's so difficult. But again, we have to allow respect to overcome love and enable our respect of the other to allow the other to exist with his or her differences, even though we cannot understand them. The uh, psychologist Jordan Peterson said something like, when we think about loving relationships that break up, it's usually based on you know one or two things that one would articulate about that relationship that didn't work anymore, that you found uh, offensive in, in, in your partner that you are breaking up with. He said, I never understood why you would love someone for obviously 99, 100, or 99,000, or 100,000 reasons, but allow one or two to be the thing that severs it. Hmm. Interesting, That's right? That's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting and very, very well put. Yeah. And I think if I had to give Jordan Peterson, who I might to give Jordan Peterson an answer, but I think yeah. it is simply because the goal of relationship is wrong. Uh. We strive for unity. Mm. We strive for this oneness. Mm -hmm. And we speak about soulmates coming into one. It's a nice novel idea, but perhaps it's based on too many movies and novels. I, I think that the goal of relationship should not be oneness. It should be harmony. Mm. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, when I'm one with you, I have to lose a little bit of myself, and you have to lose a little bit of yourself mm -hmm. so that we can be in this melting pot and indeed become one. Mm -hmm. When I am harmonious with you, I can be me, mm -hmm. you can be you, mm -hmm. and together we can harmonize. Yeah, yeah. Without without having to change the other person, there's where there, where's the, there's where that becomes difficult. You know, right. if if you want to con constantly change or continually change the other person so that you stay with them, you're going to lose that other person. Uh, you're going to lose that other person as who they are, their soul, their character, and you're going to lose that other person physically. You will sever the relationship, mm -hmm. right? Exactly, exactly. Because why would a person want to be in a relationship right. where he or she feels that they have to compromise, right. where they have to be less of themselves, not more of themselves? When we come back, I'd like to talk with you, Rabbi, about how we speak of those who have passed on. I'm consumed with the notion and issue of memory, as you've figured out probably by now, as the audience well knows. We say of blessed memory, we say, may their memory be for a blessing. Talk a little bit about why we say that, those things, particularly in the Jewish faith. Rabbi Alush, Pinchas Alush is my guest, head of the uh, congr of the uh, Shul Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea. Uh, Bath, B-E-T-H, Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H. That's correct. Congregation Beth Tefillah. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He does the uh, Rabbi Alush podcast every week, available on Apple Podcasts. Something about memory is so important to... Well, I suppose all religions, it's probably fair to say, your expertise in the Jewish religion, you think about uh, t tons of phraseology throughout 
throughout the Bible. If I forget the O Jerusalem uh, would be certainly one. Um, the actually this week's Torah portion, which tells us the importance of remembering certain holidays, right? A, spe- right. A, a specific group of holidays and why we need to remember them or the importance at least of remembering them. Um, when someone dies, we can say a lot of things. The two most prominent things I hear about what is said about those who die, though, is may them, of blessed memory, uh, memory, and then um, may their memory be for a blessing. Mm-hmm. This issue of memory. Um, before I throw it to you, if I don't filibuster too much here, there was one rabbi I read of ancient times who once said, "You should remember someone's death and mourn it for a year. If you mourn it beyond the year, you're not mourning them; you're mourning you." Hmm. Hmm. That's a powerful line. I throw it all to you. Right. So, um, yes, the notion of memory is a very, very dominant one in Jewish thought. It is really founded on this idea that I don't live a singular life. I live really a plural life. It is my utmost duty to not just to live the life that I designed for myself, but I have to live the life that was designed for me. By whom? by God and by my ancestors. They have passed down this baton to me, which must continue on through me to the next generation. So that really is what memory is founded on. It is a bridge between the past, the present, and then the future. Without memory, really, we can't be a full we. That's the big idea. But we do use the word memory when a person passes on. He may, you know, like you just said, of so-and-so of blessed memory, and so on and so forth. Uh, The idea behind this is to remind us of who the person was, but not just so that we can remember them, but so that we can also continue to live them, live the way they lived, to continue to embody their values and do their deeds. You know, in Judaism, memory is not just a matter of thought and of heart, but most importantly, it is a matter of action. We can remember someone all we want, but if we don't live by that person's values, the good values that they had, of course, then we really didn't remember them. Then they are buried in the past. By acting like they want us to act, then we are bringing them into the present and ensuring that they live on and on and on. I should say, and I don't know where the root is, it might even be modern um, and may not be based in, in ancient Jewish faith or wisdom, but for the evil, the truly evil, I mean those that are universally recognized as evil, your Adolf Hitler's, your Joseph Stalin's, your Osama bin Laden's, uh, we, we say something interestingly quite counterpoised, which is may their name be erased. Right. Taken Very away out of memory, just, just erased as if forgotten, not part of the world we will ever think of again, sort of, right? That's right. That's right. And that is maybe just to use a metaphor, yeah. that's because memory must be become a part of our GPS. Okay. And those people, we don't want them to be a part of a GPS ah. in whatever shape or form. Ah. So may their memory be erased. May my GPS be untainted by those evil people in history. And, uh, and, and we never really do let it go, I don't think. I, is, is it not true that when you write, you specifically write 
have occasion to write down someone's name who is no longer among the living, you will put down initials by their name that indicate that you are still remembering them. They are still of blessed memory, even if they died 100 years ago or 500 years ago or 100 days ago. That's correct. That's right. And I will say that it is forever. The memory uh, forever, is, yeah. forever, for, forever. And it is first and foremost to remind myself. But if we want to be a little mystical, it is also to remind them mm. in heaven mm. that they haven't be, been they haven't been forgotten, and that when they see that we are continuing to live their legacy, it makes them smile. There's a smile. <clears throat> when we come back, Rabbi, let's get a little bit into the portion of the week more specifically, if we can. It is a more, right? And it means to speak or to say. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, sacralizing and, and, and profanating God's name, if we can. We'll be right back with Rabbi Pinchas Alush. Rabbi Pinchas Alush has uh, been my guest this hour, as we are delighted and privileged to have him here uh, almost every Friday that we can. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is the uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah here in Scottsdale on Shea Boulevard and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, available on Apple Podcasts. Um, Rabbi, in this week's portion, Torah portion, uh, Amor, which means to speak, uh, one of the most powerful lines, it's in Leviticus uh, 22, you shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified in the midst of the Israelite people. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what it means to not uh, profanate God's name, uh, that duty that is upon us, and what it means to sanctify his name. Absolutely. So I will use the, the metaphor, and I will ask every one of your listeners, to imagine that they had a flag on top of their head, and that flag bears the name of God. Because after all, we believe that God created us in his own divine image. Now, when we behave goodly, it reflects not just on us, but on that flag too, on God himself. And it indeed enhances, sanctifies God's name in this world. If we behave the opposite, then the opposite uh, reaction is, is or reflection is caused. Then that flag is tarnished by the bad reputation we are giving not just ourselves, but the divine image with which we were created. That really is the foundation of that verse. But to make it as practical as possible, I would say that indeed we have the responsibility, each and every one of us, to live lives not just for ourselves, but for our divine image and to make this world a godly place, not just a good place, a godly place, a place in which God can feel comfortable. That is what it means to sanctify God's name. And to not profane it, which means to render something unholy, is this tied to the commandment in the Tenth Commandment, in the Ten Commandments, uh, do not take my name in vain? That's right. I'm assuming it is in the sense that it is through our actions that we do so as much as through our words. That's correct. That's right. You know, there's a great little anecdote in the Talmud about a sage that lived some 2,200 years ago. His name was Shimon, the son of Shatach, and he once bought a donkey. And when he brought his donkey home, he saw that this donkey had a necklace with a big diamond on it. So he went back to the Arab merchant from which he bought the donkey, and he said 
to him, look, I, I, from whom he bought the donkey. And he said to him, look, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I, I bought a donkey. I didn't buy a diamond. So here is your diamond back. The Arab merchant was so touched by his honesty that he immediately proclaimed almost spontaneously, blessed is the God of Shimon, the son of Shatach. Mm-hmm. Almost alluding to this idea that indeed when we do something good, that sanctifies it the sanctifies name. God's name. And when we do something bad, it, 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 desecrates, it, it, it. desecrates the name. The greatest evil uh, in, in the breaking of that commandment, Dennis Prager has said, is, are, are those who do evil in the name of God. Mm-hmm. He said to him, there's no greater taking of God's name in vain than those acting in the name of God and doing evil, which sadly enough we have we have in, in in our world as well, yes? That's right, and I would say I, I completely agree with Dennis Prager. I would say that that's the biggest oxymoron that exists mm. because good and evil cannot go together. Mm-hmm. They are complete opposites. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing something evil, it's obviously not in the name of God. And if I'm doing something godly, it's obviously not evil. Mm-hmm. So it's the biggest oxymoron that it can exist. Now, the interesting thing to tie this back to the previous segment just a little bit is if you read on in this portion in Leviticus 22, it says, You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified in the midst of the people who sanctify you. Then the next line is, I who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Again, that memory. You have to – he's reminding, I guess, the Israelites who he is. But there's this constant drawing back, this constant bringing back to the memory of not only – he who freed us uh, from slavery. But also throughout the Bible, we also are reminded that we were slaves. There's, there's that too. Right. There's a lot we can learn just from memory, mm-hmm. especially from memory that is directed towards our history. Mm-hmm. Because as the, as the Torah, as the Bible says in Leviticus, that we ought to be sensitive towards the strangers because we were once strangers yeah. in the land of Egypt. Right. And those memories indeed come to refine our character so that we can learn from the negative pasts that we may have experienced to build a more positive future. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking we would tie this all up in a bow, our discussion this week, with your podcast and sanctifying God's name by acting in ways that sanctify his name and putting it together with the notion of uh, getting along with people, that our duty, and maybe one of the easiest duties we have, if we keep it in mind, is to see the good in people, no matter what it is that they may do to offend us, to prevent the severing of the tie, continually seeing their good, because one day we will, but it'll be too late. Mm -hmm. Yes? That's correct, yes. When they die, we will see it. But then, unfortunately, it's way too late. So let us start today, right now. And I will add to that, I think it was Van Gogh who said that if you treat a person the way they seem, I don't know if I'm quoting verbatim, but the way they seem to be, then all you'll evoke is a behavior in that person that is reflected on what That's all you'll see. Be. Yeah. But if you see a person on what he can and should be, then this is how the person will eventually react. I love that. I love that. I uh, I did earlier in the uh, earlier in the show. I did my annual commencement speech. One of the pieces of advice I had was, and I learned it from someone else. 
when you see someone you may not uh, particularly like, try and see the child in them or envision them as they were a child because it's hard to be mad at a child, an innocent little child. That's one, one, one good tool to try and see the good in someone, yes? Absolutely. It's beautiful. Really beautiful. Rabbi Pimkas Salush, you are too. Thank you for being with us this week. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Until next week. Um, Rabbi Alush will be, uh, and by the way, anyone who has questions for him, feel free to email me or him, uh, things you'd like us to bring up, um, uh, on these Friday visits. He's delighted to take your questions. I'm Seth and we'll be right back. Folks, thinking about how the administration is doing with the economy, whether it's the worries about the recession on the horizon, the bank failures, the stock market volatility, why Refi has an opportunity of an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that is not correlated to the Fed or the stock market. It's an investment in a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time time. There are no fees in the secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. Why Refi is local. You can stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road and the one on and the 101. I encourage you. I've been there many times. No one will ask you to sign anything. You won't get a sales pitch. And when you meet with that team at Why Refi, you'll see how much I you'll see why I like them so much and trust them so much and that you can too. A due diligence approved firm, as I say, they are offering up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I am, as uh, I was saying with the rabbi, and as many of you know, obsessed with the notion of, of memory. Um I, I have a I have a quirky one myself, but um, the 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 issue of memory in a, in a in not just a personal respect, but in a in a much more universal or global or philosophical respect, um, <laughs> I can't help but think that uh, with all this um, celebration of this ongoing celebration of the royal coronation in England and Americans' fascination with it, I. I appreciate the respect, for sure, uh, of the fascination with it, and uh, obviously a great ally of ours that we want to be respectful to. But some of this turns into a little bit more than just respect, and maybe one of the things might do us good to remember is why we don't do that here. We were founded over and against the notion of leadership by blood, or any kind of hierarchy by blood. We did fight a revolution over this, folks, and all thy celebrating of this. Let us not forget that. I'll, I'll end with a quote uh, my friend Steve gave me this week that adds to my um, adds to my catalog of collections on 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 the philosophy of memory from Elie Wiesel. Without memory, there is no culture. Without memory, there would be no civilization, no society, no future. That is my major preoccupation: memory, the kingdom of memory. I want to protect and enrich that kingdom, glorify that kingdom, and serve it. Quite right. And if the positive aspect of that is not enough to be obsessed with it the way I am, think of the negative aspect and think about all that we fight is mostly against those who want to take down our memory, who want to take down our history. 
Folks, thanks for spending the week with us. Until Monday, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson. David, Bill, thank you. Class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.